0: What is going on? Welcome to the show. Happy Wednesday. News Talk 1110 993 WBT. The Pete Calendar Show. I'm the Pete. The number is 704 570 1110 and 1 800 WBT 1110. You can email Pete at com. And of course, you can get the podcast simply by going to WBT.com and clicking on the follow button. It's available on all of the platforms, uh, has been for a while. So, Uh, and, and it's, none of them are preferable to me personally, although I have heard bad things about the Apple platform mixing stuff up, but I don't, I'm not here to drag Apple. I'm here to talk about Lamborghinis and Ferraris and Bentleys and Teslas. Okay. Actually, no, I'm not going to talk about the vehicles per se. I'm talking about the people who bought them with taxpayer dollars Actually, not taxpayer dollars. Debt that taxpayers are going to be on the hook for in the future under the COVID relief money. I said the other day, probably about two weeks ago, I was watching the county commissioners, the Mecklenburg Board of County Commissioners, go through their approval for doling out all of the millions of dollars from uh, the ARPA funds from the federal government. And how everybody was so excited, and they were patting themselves on the back for dishing out all of the the dollars, and part of me just it it just felt scummy. It did. It felt scummy because I'm looking at that debt, and I'm thinking the pandemic is over, the emergency is over, and you're just now getting around to distributing th- this fund, uh, the ARPA funding, and. It's only like a third of it. There's still two other what they call tranches or chunks of this money to go. I think it's two. They still got so much more money that they're going to be pushing out the door. And it's, it's no longer an emergency. And everybody's, oh, this is a great investment in equity and whatever. And I'm thinking, wow, like we're bankrupt. Where's this money coming from? But that's sort of my mindset. I, like My wife will tell you, I'm sort of of the same mind in our household budget. And the nice thing, though, about not spending more than you take in is that you do have the money for when the emergencies do arrive. This is a concept that states have to follow, but the federal government does not. NBC News reporting many who participated in what prosecutors call the largest fraud in U.S. history, the theft Of hundreds of billions of dollars intended to help those harmed by the coronavirus pandemic. These folks could not resist purchasing luxury cars, mansions, private jet flights, and swanky vacations. They came into their riches by participating in what experts say is the theft of as many as, or sorry, as much as $80 billion that was part of the Paycheck Protection Program, or the PPP. That was an $800 billion relief fund, and the estimate is 10% went to fraud, 10%. That does not include $90 billion, or it could be as high as $400 billion that is believed to have been stolen from the COVID Unemployment Relief Program. 90 to 400 billion dollars. That's quite the spread. It was only a 900 billion, only a 900. It was a 900 billion dollar program. And they're saying so anywhere from what? 10% to 45% of it stolen. At least half of that taken by international fraudsters. Like the, the Kenyan prince. Oh, and that is not including the... $80 $80 billion potentially pilfered from a separate COVID disaster relief program. So let's see here. 80 plus 80 is $160 billion. Add in another 90. You're at a quarter of a trillion dollars stolen through these COVID programs. It could rival the $579 billion. in. Oh, and that, by the way, that was the conservative estimate I just gave you. Because if I if i throw in another what 300 billion now you're at now you're approaching this 579 billion dollar infrastructure spending plan think about that the infrastructure spending plan is about how much money half a trillion dollars that we've lost potentially to fraud that's the that's on the high end of that estimate but here's the thing we, we're not really ever going to know how much was actually stolen it's always going to be just a guess. Most of the losses are considered unrecoverable. There's still a chance to, to stop the bleeding because federal officials say $600 billion is still waiting to go out the door. $600 billion not spent yet. Uh, guys, I don't think this is an emergency anymore then. If you haven't sent the money, this is the point about helicopter cash. And at the very beginning of the pandemic, when the government shut everybody down, and then said, here, take all this money. It was my understanding that this is helicopter cash and a lot of it is going to be, and they call it helicopter cash because you essentially just, you know, fly around the heli- in a helicopter and you just push the money out the door and it just falls on people. And And you recognize that there is going to be waste, fraud, and abuse. But they didn't even push it out the door fast enough. You can't even... How bad is the government when you can't even spend money quickly? And that's what the government does. The thing that it excels at is the thing that apparently it still can't excel at. It's just an amazing irony. The Biden administration imposed new verification rules last year that administration officials say appear to have made a difference in curbing fraud. So good for them. But they acknowledge that the program in 2020 sacrificed security for speed which is why they still have $600 billion to push out the door. Just uh, The uh, criminal methodology varied depending on the program. There was this epic swindle of COVID unemployment relief. It's been carried out by individual criminals and organized crime groups using stolen identities. Each identity could be worth up to $30,000 in benefits, according to the Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz. The looting of the Paycheck Protection Program, that worked differently, and it could be far more lucrative The program authorized banks and other financial institutions to make government-backed loans to businesses. Loans that were to be forgiven if the company spent the money on business expenses. Nearly 10 million such loans have already been forgiven. You see the, the opportunity here, right? All you need to do is go out, create some fake businesses, get the loans, they get forgiven, and off you go. Many of the loans turned into grants for millions of dollars. Experts say millions of borrowers inflated their numbers of employees or created companies out of whole cloth. I am shocked. I don't know about you, I am shocked. Oh, that's the black keys. News Talk 1110 993 wbt Thanks a lot for hanging out with me. I appreciate it. Ah, uh, you know, just talking about half a trillion dollars in fraud. Taxpayer funds lost. That's a that's an estimate at this point. It could go higher. It could go lower. But roughly speaking, it's about half a trillion dollars thanks to all of the COVID relief programs that were set up. In their effort to push the money out the door as quickly as possible, they... They said, look, there's going to be some fraud. There's going to be some waste. There's going to be some fraud and, and fraud. And did I mention fraud? Well, there was a lot of it. There's a lot of fraud and it happened. Okay. But that was what we sacrificed in order to get the money into the hands of the people who needed it the most as quickly as possible because the government said, you got to shut down and fire all these people. Right? That was the... That was the deal. That was the the whole point about the helicopter cash was you push it out fast. There's going to be fraud, but you do it fast because people need it right now, and it's incumbent upon the policymakers and the, the government officials who told them to lock down to make them whole for having followed the directive, right? Well, then why are we still waiting on another half a trillion dollars to go out the door? It's been two years. Is nuts. If it, was, if it was such an emergency, the money should have already gone out the door. One of the centers of the fraud is Miami. I am shocked. Where Juan Gonzalez is the U.S. attorney in the Southern District of Florida. Gonzalez said he has seen a lot of fraud in Florida, including billions pilfered every year from the federal Medicare program, but never has so much been stolen so quickly. This, according to the NBC report, looking at the total of the fraud, Many have gotten away with it, he says, and while prosecutors have 10 years to go after the fraud, given the enormous scope of the criminality, the Justice Department simply does not have the resources to go after it all. Across the country, only 178 people have been convicted so far in PPP fraud cases, the Paycheck Protection Program. uh, Many more prosecutions are coming, but even if the numbers reach 2,000 or even 20,000, it's just a small fraction of The fraud. So how did this happen? Two prevailing theories. Number one, they said, let's make the application process as smooth as possible, right? And accept the fact there's going to be fraud, as I've been mentioning. But there's another theory. This is from a fellow named Haywood Talcove. He is the CEO of LexisNexis, which works with the government to verify identities. And part of making the process smooth was to have the lenders just approve everything because it wasn't their money that was on the line, and so they would just say yes to everybody who came in and applied. Some of the institutions did not do the type of due diligence that they should have. But Talcove says that there's another explanation. His company maintains huge databases: da- data, data bay, data, database, c, database i. I don't know what's the plural data anyway. A public records, uh, he maintains all these public records and sells verification services to governments. And he says the government and the lenders and the banks could have and should have prevented this kind of fraud. He told Larry Kudlow, who was at the time a top economic advisor to President Donald Trump, he said, this was going to be the biggest fraud in the history of our country. And then I was told that you can have speed or you can have security and that they'd rather just get the money out. And he said, that's not true. That's a false premise. If you believe that, then some of our biggest companies in the country that face consumers would be bankrupt, right? It's very easy to stop the type of fraud that we're looking at. In fact, the private sector stopped it a decade ago. The problem, he says, states panicked, as well as the Small Business Administration. That's what happened. Or it was just complete government incompetence, which honestly, if I have to choose between the two, it's kind of... eh. I always kind of default towards the incompetence. John Hood, writing at Carolina Journal, he says, as is now clear, Congress and two different presidential administrations flubbed the federal response to the COVID crisis. They borrowed and spent far too much, often in haphazard and ineffective ways, with too few safeguards against abuse. If your preferred approach to public policy assumes that federal officials have the capacity or incentives to make wise and precisely timed interventions, It is time to rethink your position. The sheer scale of Washington's COVID response boggles the mind from the early days of the pandemic to the inaccurately named ARP, the American Rescue Plan, which kind of sounds like a bodily function. Anyway, the federal government authorized $5.7 trillion in spending. Some of the money was sent directly to taxpayers or expended by federal agencies. Other funds, though, were directed to state and local governments or administered by banks and other private firms, which, as I mentioned earlier, are still doling it out to the local nonprofits, the cottage industry of nonprofits that surround like vultures, these local governments like Mecklenburg. They just live off of government grants at the local level, passed through from the feds. Added This all adds to the national debt, deficits that were projected to be a little over a trillion dollars a year, then turned into a $3 trillion deficit in 2020. The national debt, which was predicted to be $17 trillion before the pandemic and was supposed to be $29 trillion by the end of the decade, now it's predicted to be $36 trillion by the end of the decade. You got the rebirth of inflation now, which is the inevitable result of too much money chasing too few goods. Unemployment insurance fraud. Of the nearly $900 billion in UI payments during the height of the COVID pandemic, around $163 billion were paid improperly. You also have fraud in the SNAP program or food stamps program. Here in North Carolina, John Hood says there's abundant evidence of another serious flaw with the federal government's COVID relief packages. They gave states and localities far more borrowed federal funds Then we're needed to address their real fiscal or public health needs. He points to the city of Raleigh that got seventy three million dollars. And as of this month, late this month, Raleigh has allocated only three percent of that money. Is it really an emergency? This money going out now is proof that it wasn't administered properly and it wasn't really timely to combat the emergency. All right, speaking of the uh, Paycheck Protection Plan or program, here's somebody local who actually benefited from it and uh, a lot of help from the Belmont community.
1: John Bailey. I am the owner of Sammy's Pub in Belmont, North Carolina.
0: And how long has Sammy's been
1: open in Belmont? (laughs) Uh, Sammy's has been open uh, about 16 years. I'm not the original owner. I bought it from Sammy uh, Balazsius about uh, six and a half years ago
0: any any thought to change it to john's instead of saying <laughs>
1: <laughs> no you know i'm not that narcissistic and if it's not broke don't fix it there
0: you go so obviously yep. nothing could prepare you for having to shut down your business in a pandemic um and so how did you uh i guess initially take that order what did you think when you were going in and they were saying everybody's got to be closed
1: well you know it uh it was real surreal very surreal i should say and uh you know, I, um, it was St. Patrick's Day, which is our busiest day of the year. And uh, I walked downstairs and saw all the beer kegs that we had in anticipation of St. Patrick's Day, and I almost started to cry. <laughs> there was a lot of beer down there. <laughs> and uh, I was afraid that, uh, you know, I was going to end up throwing it all away. But fortunately, we didn't. What did you do with it? Well, we, um, you know, we, we switched over to to goes at that point in time, and um, we ended up selling a lot of growlers and growlers and, that sort of thing. We were one of the few restaurants that was still managing to sell beer. I assume you worked
0: in restaurants prior to becoming the owner of Sammy's. That would not
1: be a correct assumption. <laughs> really?
0: So you had no <laughs> yeah. experience at None. all in restaurants?
1: None. None. Zero.
0: You know there are TV also, shows designed around this very concept, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, I, I do, know. actually. And, and this, uh, funny enough, some of them have contacted me, but we said no thanks.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, so... You have no experience in the restaurant industry. You have all these kegs mm. of beers, but luckily you can sell some to go. What about the food service side of things? Were you doing to go food as well?
1: Yeah, we uh, we were, and you know uh, that first Friday, you know, it was originally it was two weeks to flatten the curve, and uh, that first Friday, everybody was like, oh, we got to save the restaurants. We have to save the restaurants. The line, and, and and I can't say enough about the community uh, that, that we're in in Belmont, um, the line came out the building, wrapped around the building, went down the sidewalk, and people were extremely patient because, you know, we've never been in a situation where we have to prepare every meal as a to-go meal, and it's, it's done a little differently, and uh, people were extremely patient, and, uh, you know, it was very supportive of all the restaurants in town, but, uh, you know, I just... I can't say enough about the community but it, it it was tough it was it was a big switch and it, it, it took a day for us to get our feet back up underneath us so it was different for certain.
0: So what happens after the 15 days to flatten the curve turns into what 30 days 60 days right you you can only run your operation like you were running it for so long right?
1: Well I mean fortunately again for us you know with all the community support that we had uh, I mean we actually did very very well uh, during the pandemic I mean I feel a little weird saying that because I know so many other restaurants didn't, but we, we did very well and could have maintained uh, what we were doing with the to goes only, and not it? It seems like we opened up at 50% somewhere around the end of May, like May 22nd, something like that. And quite honestly, I was shaking my head going, do I really want to open at 50% because the to goes were doing so well? So you did open at 50%, though? We did, yeah. You know, but being the restaurant that we were in the town that we were, I, I felt like uh, the uh, citizens would have had me drawn in quartered. had I not uh, opened my doors. I think everybody was ready to get back to at least some level of normalcy, you know.
0: Did you see any drop-off in people's willingness to support the restaurant the longer that the, the closures went on?
1: Maybe a little but uh you know as as soon as we opened back up at 50% you know i was i was shocked at the business that we had and then you know the the town officials of Belmont even went so far as to closing main street and paying on the weekends for um, us to have outdoor seating they uh, they rented tables and chairs for us and, and uh, we had you know basically back up to 100% capacity on weekends if the weather permitted
0: right and
1: um you know the the town and the people really just I can't say enough about how well they supported us. I mean, it's it was it was pretty amazing, actually.
0: So and I've been to your restaurant. I've been uh, to a couple. Yes, thank of, you uh, for that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've been, I've been to a couple of <laughs> different ones uh, in, in downtown Belmont. Are you aware of any ones that that shut down or did everybody kind of benefit from uh, that local support and the, the town officials?
1: I, I think most of them uh, made it through and uh, maybe some some of us better than than some others. Uh, but, uh, you know, now they're they're all back open, obviously. And I, I don't think we lost any none that I'm aware of, at least not downtown.
0: Did you utilize any of the uh, the government programs, the the grant money or the, mm-hmm. the payments and stuff? Did you utilize any of those?
1: Yes, sir. So uh, I, I actually applied for the PPP program loan, and mm-hmm. I got that, and using that, I was able to bring back um, all my staff that wanted to come back, you know, doing the, uh, the, the, the to goes only. We were able to keep quite a few people employed. A lot of our servers, you know, it was sort of their side hustle, so they, they gave up shifts for people who it was their full-time job, and uh, so the people who wanted to work a lot got actually got to work a lot, even before the PPP, but the PPP allowed me to bring everyone back on who wanted to come back on. Wow.
0: Yeah, and and I know restaurant owners, uh, managers trying to schedule all of that stuff. Is, it was a nightmare, uh, was. and then you've got people that are, that were, you know, afraid to come back to work as well, mm-hmm, and uh, and then some others who just didn't want to work and were easy, you know, found it easier to not work, and so they didn't absolutely. Want
1: to go we back had too. We had several of both.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, you, so did you end up? Um it, it sounds like the answer is no, that you didn't end up having to fire anybody lo- when you look at sort of the long term. But you, some people were essentially furloughed for some period.
1: Yeah, that's that's a, that's a good way to put it. Um, you know, again, we had people who just said, you know what, I've, I've got a full-time job. I don't need my couple of shifts on the weekends. Let somebody else have those. And then we had a couple of people who maybe didn't get to work quite as much as they wanted to. But, uh, you know, we we did our best to try to work with everybody and keep at least some money coming in. And then, of course, you know, others were able to go file for unemployment, that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, you know, for the most part, we were able to keep the employees busy who wanted to be busy. So uh, what did you learn during the this experience? Well, I learned, uh, you know, never take business for granted, first and foremost. Uh I learned that the uh, governor has a lot more power than than I thought he had <laughs> uh which uh you know I wasn't happy about but um you know it it made us streamline our operations a little more it uh it, it really gave us the opportunity to to dive pretty deep into um you know our operations of our business and and uh and do things a little more efficiently actually yeah it so does... in the long run it actually helped
0: well, yeah, and it, it also speaks to the value uh, and durability of the pr- the prior existing relationships that you have with the people in the town. Because had had you not had the prior relationship, you you might not be here still today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, um, fortunately for me, it, it, it sort of gave me pause to think about my menu uh, because you look at some of the the fancy steakhouses um you know so you know in downtown charlotte for example mm-hmm. um had i had one of those in belmont yeah i still probably wouldn't be here i mean you're know, fortunate we serve pub style food and that's something that most americans will eat every day and uh you know, it, uh, it it made it easier for them to support us as opposed to, you know, serving a $70 filet.
0: That's so true. We thought at the time when the pandemic first hit, my wife and I were in, we were living in uh, Biltmore Village up in Asheville, mm-hmm. and there's yep. a Ruth's Chris Steakhouse up there. And you're paying, if you're going to pay for Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, you're paying for the experience, you know, as well Correct. as the food. And I'm not sure, I, well, we know, we we did not want to spend the kind of money at the beginning of a pandemic and get it in a, you know, styrofoam yeah, container. Exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love Roos Chris Steak. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's it's not the same when a styrofoam container is sitting at your, your kitchen table. Right.
0: Uh, all right. Well, is there anything else you want to add that you think is important or interesting here to note that we didn't cover?
1: You know, it's just I, I can't say enough about the community and, and how they supported not only us, but uh, all the restaurants in, in town and um, the elected officials and and how they helped and, and a lot of other businesses. You know, um, even, you know, I talked about how the, the town paid for the, the rentals uh, to be out there for the um, on the weekends for our um, to get us back up to 100% on the weekends. You know, the rental company uh, is right there on Main Street. And of course, they weren't doing a whole lot of businesses because weddings and everything had to stop. Um, and, you know, they actually gave the town good rates on um, a lot of that. So, you know, it, I think we saw a lot of businesses kind of pool together and, and work to get us all through. And um, it was extremely obvious in Belmont, at least, that, that uh, businesses were working together to get through that challenge.
0: John Bailey, owner of Sammy's Neighborhood Pub in Belmont. Thanks for your time, sir. Appreciate it, and uh, uh, continued success for you. Hey, thanks, Pete. And I appreciate you. Uh, glad you're back in Charlotte. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate. It. I'm glad to be back as well. I'm glad to be back. <laughs> All right. So that was my chat with John Bailey. <laughs> Pete Callender Show, News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT, seven zero four five seven zero eleven ten and 1-800-WBT-1110. Let me jump over here to Paul, who has been waiting patiently. Well, actually, I don't know. He's just been waiting. I, I don't know if it's been patiently. He could be very impatiently waiting. But, Paul, welcome to the program. How are you? Uh,
2: uh, patiently waiting. Uh, thank <laughs> you for taking my call.
0: Sure.
2: Uh, quick question. Yes, sir. I, wor- I caught COVID a couple months ago, missed a week worth of work and was wondering what the responsibility of my employer was to compensate me for that week I missed. Or does he have a responsibility to help me with that?
0: I don't believe there's any legal responsibility that they would be on the hook for. I don't think so. Okay, I was just wondering what... you got to use your sick time, I believe, if you've got sick time. Okay. Do you have you do, you, do you have a job that that you get a certain number of sick days per year?
2: Yes, yes.
0: So you would take those days. Um, that's what I did. I build it as sick time, and then once you blow through your sick days, then you start eating into your vacation days, right?
2: Right.
0: Yeah. So I think that's how a lot of employers treated. I'm a fan of the what do they call it? The is it just managed time? Off, I think is what they call it, MTO, where you just get a pool of days. So it's, you know, you could take them as vacation days or you can take them as sick days. It doesn't matter. You have a certain number of days. And this way, people who don't get sick a lot would be able to utilize more vacation time. And people who don't take vacations but get sick more often, they could take the time as sick days. I'm a fan of that kind of system, but I I don't know if there are different tax benefits or whatever for offering those types of times. But what happened with you?
2: Well, I was just wondering if if the—I thought the feds were giving out—you know, you're talking about fraud, giving out all this COVID money to help employers. I thought some of that money was to be used to help people that caught COVID and missed work. I didn't didn't know.
0: So if you have paid sick time that covered you for that, then it's a wash for you. Um, If you don't have paid sick time, then I would assume— You could inquire, you could ask your employer, say, hey, is there some sort of program that is available either to the employer to, you know, to basically recompensate you as a pass-through, or is there something you directly apply for? I don't, but I'm not aware of any of those types of programs. Okay. That's
2: that's what I needed to know. All right, Paul.
0: Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening. I appreciate the call. Uh, I'm sorry I couldn't be more helpful. If anybody else knows the answer to Paul's question, please feel free to call in and relay the intel. At uh, 704 570 Now, there is a fund here in North Carolina called the Golden Leaf Foundation. Came out of the tobacco settlement uh, case. The the litigation over, you know, whether the tobacco companies knew that their product was causing cancer and all that. And so they entered into this uh, settlement when uh, Roy Cooper was the attorney general 20 years ago. They entered into this settlement, and uh, the money then got stuffed into this Golden Leaf Foundation program. Uh, the state auditor, Beth Wood, she's a Democrat, but I will say she has a reputation as one who is a straight shooter on the audits because it's math. It's the, These are accounting principles, right? She knows the books. She knows how these things are supposed to be kept. And she'll go after uh local governments or politicians elected officials of any political stripe so i give her a lot of credit and 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 i give her credit that she's come on my radio show in the past so one of the only statewide elected democrats to ever do so the objective of the performance audit that her office conducted um was to determine whether the golden leaf designed and implemented procedures to ensure that COVID-19 rapid response loans, rapid recovery loans, rather, uh, that the recipients of the money use the money in accordance with the federal law on uh, May 4th, 2020, the general assembly enacted the COVID recovery act, which established the state's coronavirus relief fund to provide assistance. Due to the pandemic, the fund provided about $3.6 billion in federal assistance to various entities. Of the $3.6 billion in federal assistance that was received, about $83 million was allocated to the Golden Leaf. And Golden Leaf failed to monitor how $83 million in federal money was used. That according to the audit. Nothing to see there, though, I'm sure. Auditors recommended that Uh, the North Carolina Pandemic Recovery Office should include a requirement now to monitor the spending of these funds in future contracts. Kind of seems like an obvious thing to have required up front, but what do I know? Just a radio host. News is next.